What's going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer again in 2021 with the Bases Loaded Podcast continuing as part of the Rotoballer Radio Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball fanatics their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2021 MLB Draft Kit is live, and all Bases Loaded Podcast listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code BASESLOADED. That's bases loaded, all one word. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2021 rankings and projections are available as part of the Rotoballer draft kit. Along with printable cheat sheets, our top draft sleepers, more than 300 2021 player outlooks, and all of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code bases loaded. Just go to rotoballer.com slash bases loaded and get your draft kit today. Bases loaded and one out. Oh Arkansas my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Welcome in everyone to episode 142 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight, joined by another first-time guest, I'm just trying to go around the industry grabbing names of people that just deserve more recognition, and this is another one. I was fortunate enough to go ahead and grab Carmen Mayorano, and uh, yeah, I'm just happy to have him on. He's the co-owner of Rotofanatic, a feature writer over at Fantasy Pros, and a guy that I've interacted with for a better part of almost a year now. You can follow him on Twitter at Carm's Clubhouse. That's C-A-R-M-S Clubhouse, all one word. Carm, Carmen, what do you prefer, and how are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike, for having me on. I'm so pumped to be talking baseball with you for a little bit tonight. Uh, I know I know that last name is hard to pronounce, but you're not the uh, you're not the first one to do that. Most of the time, before people see me, they think I'm a girl because of my first name. So I've just had it pretty rough all around. <laughs> so you're saying you were bullied as a kid? Well, good yeah, thing the fantasy baseball industry is uh, very welcoming of all. And I'm sure that's not hasn't been the case since you've been part of this. But um, yeah, man, I mean, honestly, since the last time we've even talked, I mean, I obviously am not paying much attention to your profile because didn't know you became a co-owner of Rotofanatic. That's an awesome thing, man. I, I congratulated you a little bit before we started. And I guess before we even get to that, I'd like to have first time guests come on and just discuss. Well, let me just back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. I like to do that here. We're going to be talking about your fast board, fast board, fastball barrel board. And but before we get into that and what it is and how you came up with the concept and all that, I want I like to hear about how you got started in the industry and kind of how you got to where you're at now. So you can go ahead and take it away, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. About five years ago, I had this itch to write about sports in some capacity. And I was browsing uh, fantasypros.com one day and I saw that they had openings to um, essentially write game recaps um, for baseball. And I'm like, well, this would be kind of cool. You know, let's see if I like it. Um, see if it's a good fit for me. I applied. Um, they liked what I brought to the table. I did game recaps every single day for a year. It was so monotonous, but it, I feel like it learned. I helped helped me become more committed to writing, and I think I really developed my writing. And then from there, I applied basically to write um, DFS long form articles for them, and that went well. And then it started turning into a paid gig, um, doing DFS articles, doing evergreen pieces on strategy. Uh, basically doing like positive and negative regression candidates. Uh, so I, I've really enjoyed those long form articles. And then a little over a year ago, I started the website carmsclubhouse.com. That kind of goes back to um, some backyard baseball nostalgia I've had 
Pablo Sanchez, the greatest baseball video game character of all time. So that's kind of how Carms Clubhouse came to be. I decided to do more of my out-of-the-box analytical work there. And um, from there, Matt Williams, the main guy I wrote a Fanatic, he noticed what I was doing. He asked me literally four times once a week for a month to come <laughs> join Roto Fanatic. And I kept turning him down. I'm like, you know what? He seems like a really sharp guy. So I, I ended up joining, um, went on the podcast, the morning uh, morning relay once a week, recapping um, the night's events in baseball. And um, from there, it just kind of was like, you want to join us like as a co-owner? And I'm like, heck yeah, because I don't know if you know this, but maintaining a site is a lot of work. And doing it by yourself is next to impossible. So I was really happy to team up with a bunch of other guys at Rota Fanatic to help, you know, jump on that chimp, jump on that ship and drive it forward. So that's kind of that's kind of my story. Yeah, and Matt and I work together pretty often. I'm all I'm pretty familiar with how Rota Fanatic got started. And then Govier is a great dude too. So the hype man himself. Yeah, you have you have such a fun little team there because Matt is like semi serious, like he can be sarcastic and funny, but he has his like little quirky personality. And then you have I shouldn't even say Corky because Corky is the um is Govier. Govier yeah, Govier's quirky. He's awesome. He's he's awesome. He's just like the energy. They balance each other out well, and I feel like you kind of slide right in the middle of like a happy medium. So it's yeah, a good I'm kind of like the uh, I'm kind of like the meat in the uh, sandwich, I guess. Right? Yeah, I don't know how people want to read into that, but that's how I'm taking <laughs> it. But I want to I want to revisit. You mentioned five years in the industry, and you obviously are heavy into analytics, and that's what brought us into what we're talking about tonight. But how much have you seen analytics and the usage of analytics grow in the fantasy baseball industry as a whole over those five years? Yeah, I mean, five years ago, I mean, we were we were all on fan graphs looking at stuff. I'm not really sure how much I really understood at that point. I was probably just quoting um, stats that didn't that I didn't really understand what they meant five years ago. And as I learned and developed my knowledge, I feel like as a fantasy baseball community, we've begun began to understand exactly like which stats matter more, which stats stabilize more, which ones are more predictive over these last five years. I think there's been a ton of research, you know, from Alex Fast, Alex Chamberlain, Connor Kirkon, exactly showing um, the most important things to look at. And, I, you know, we've come a long way in five years for sure. Yeah, and that's why, because I'm noticing like the last two years, like I said, I've only been doing this going on three years as a whole. And I've seen analytics were kind of a big thing, but they were still kind of even newer-ish in terms of being added like as deep as they are added into analysis and now it's just like every it feels like someone's bringing up something new every day and it's a lot that's just a lot to take in it's hard to follow and sometimes it's like you're not even sure what to include anymore and it's it's part of it though it's good it's a good thing because with this many smart people in the industry coming up with new things it just gives us more ways to look at the game and that's what makes it so that's what makes baseball so great because baseball just there's like an element to the sport that no other sport offers and it's something that us nerds can kind of nerd out about. And it's okay to be a nerd in this game, you know? And even real-life players, you know, they're taking this, this this information and applying it. So that's kind of cool to see, too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like three years ago or whatever, when Savant came to be, I was just like, I didn't know I needed this until I saw it. And then I just got so giddy and excited about all these different stats and trying to understand what exactly they mean, like understanding, like, which ones are better, you know, if you looked at some of my first couple tweets, I bet it was probably like <laughs> Matthew Boyd's XFIP is a lot lower than his ERA. Go pick him up. Like now we know yeah. so much more about stats and data and what that all means. It's really been an evolution in these last five years. 
I honestly, part of me misses the simplicity of just citing BABIP as a reason for aggression. <laughs> like I, I miss, you know, I miss the simple. I do. I miss the simplicity of it because it made all of us, it made all of our jobs easier. And honestly, again, most of us, you mentioned, although you mentioned getting paid, it's usually not a large amount. So a lot of us are doing this for nearly free. You know, it's, it's right. not a lot of money that we're, most of us are making to do this, especially the ones that don't do it full time. Like you and I, this is a, this is a full time, part time type of thing is how I look at it. Right, but, right. When I, when I say get paid, I mean like paid yes. for like my wife's lattes every Saturday. Yes, yes. You too? Okay, cool. Not about the only one. But speaking of analytics, I want to talk about this fastball barrel board. It's like a tongue twister for me. I messed it up once. Hopefully, I will get through it the rest of the time without messing it up. But how has your knowledge of analytics turned into this specific because you, you've done other work so i don't want to say this is like your only analytical work but this most recent piece of yours first off i guess we should start with not only the just what is this and how did you come up with the idea i feel like those two questions i put down tie together yeah yeah so um so i'll try and explain this as simple as possible and yes you, you absolutely ask questions along the way oh i will <laughs> in its most simple form, the fastball barrel board is showing barrel rate trend analysis on fastballs, comparing 2019 to a combined 2019 and 2020. So basically saying, what was this hitter's barrel rate in 2018? How does it compare to their barrel rate on fastballs in 2019 and 2020 combined? The y-axis on the barrel board is their 2019 and 2020 combined barrel rate on fastballs. For example, Miguel Sano mashes fastballs, 27% fastball barrel rate in 2019, 2020. You'll see that on the y-axis. On the x-axis, you'll see that he increased his barrel rate on fastballs 13%, meaning that, meaning that it was at 14% in 2018, increased 13% to the 27% in 19 and 20. The legend in there basically says like, if you're a dark green circle, you kill, you kill fastballs and you've done a really good job improving on your barrel rate over that, over that time period. And on the flip side, a guy like Tyler O'Neill. He has like a league average fastball barrel rate, and it declined 19% from 18 to 19 and 20. So I think on those drastic ends is where kind of the simplicity of the barrel board shows through. And the idea is to essentially highlight people who gained and de declined in barrel, I guess, ball, fastballs that you barrel. slash. Exactly. And obviously with the decline in barreling fastballs comes the decline in production against fastballs typically. Exactly. And what so when you go through this and you find these names and you start diving in what do you typically find obviously i mentioned decline in product productivity but is there usually like are they seeing like have you noticed maybe and i'm getting granular now because again i know this is kind of like a what you did here is like a bigger scale deal but if you take a player like you mentioned snow and i haven't looked at snow in a while so i'm wondering have have pitchers kind of adapted are they even are they seeing less fastballs oh sorry he might be I'm, let me go back to o'neill i guess sure O'Neill is probably seeing less fastballs and more breaking balls, but the pitch or vice versa, even, but the pitch mix, maybe have you noticed like there's been pitch picks, pitch mix changes against them or has he just like, are they throwing them in different areas? Are they attacking him high and he's swinging under them? Like just little thing. I know every player is going to be different, but maybe somebody like him, is there something you noticed in terms of a trend in the production or the trend in how pitchers attacking him? Maybe. Yeah, so in, you know, in full transparency, I haven't done that deep dive on Tyler O'Neill yet. But mm -hmm. I think essentially what you're getting at is that it's a great jumping off point to understand exactly how hitters are getting to that barrel rate. I mean, at its simple form, barrel, barrel rate is essentially how hard or how, the off, how often you're hitting a ball 98 miles an hour in a certain degree mm -hmm. of launch angle. And the harder you hit the ball, the wider that launch angle expands. Um, and the key thing there for me is like, 
okay, Brandon, like for example, Brandon, you can go so many different directions, starting with one exit velocity. Did they improve their exit velocity or, and, or I guess you would say, did they more, more so optimize their launch angle to get into that barrel rate that you, that you really want? Uh, so that's typically where I start. One, one interesting guy I found is Harrison Bader. He had a big increase um, from uh, 2018 to 19 and 20. And a lot of that um, is due to just increasing the exit velocity. He increased it three miles an hour from 18 to 19 and 20. And to me, that means that you know, he's, just seeing the, he's just seeing fastballs really well. He doesn't hit off-speed pitches or breaking balls well at all. So we know that if he's going to stay in the lineup, which he will because he's a great defender in St. Louis and they desperately need that out in center field, if he continues to see the same amount of fastballs he's seeing, um, which may or may not happen. We don't know that, but that's something we need to be thinking about going forward. Is he he can be someone who um, who surprises after pick 500 in our drafts just because he kills fastballs and he's seeing yeah. them 50 to 55% of the time. And that, sto- yeah. that story that I'm spinning is unique to every player. Brandon Lau kill, kills fastballs. He only sees 47% of fastballs. The average hitter sees 50 to 55% of them. So it's not likely that he'll see a decrease in fastballs. So in my opinion a volatile player maybe, but I think he actually has a pretty safe floor just because if anything, he'll see more fastballs, which he mashes. Yeah. And I like Brandon Lau a lot, so I'm rooting for him, but okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, but I mean, yeah, I like this because you mentioned, I think what you, I think the way he's put it as a jumping off point is actually a really good way of saying it because all you, what you did was make me ask questions and that's a great thing. Cause someone like me who I, I just, you give me questions. I want to find answers and right. That, that's that's honestly half of this stuff, man. Because now you put this. Now I'm looking forward to like because I know you mentioned this. You start with fastballs. You plan on doing off speeds and all the other stuff, right? Yeah. As well. Yeah. So you plan on doing uh, breaking balls and off speed. I highlighted a few guys like Lau and Bader who who have really improved over the last couple of years in their fastball barrel rates. And then um, in a in a probably next week or so, I'll do a piece on you know who's declining and why. For example, Tyler O'Neill. I'll do that deep dive. And then after that, I'm going to get into uh, off speed and breaking balls for sure. And okay, so yeah, it's gonna be like all it's gonna it's pretty much like a little mini series. I like where you're going with this, but overall, where did this what made you think of looking into this concept and idea as a whole? Yeah, so about a year ago when I started Carms Clubhouse, I was like obsessed with learning Tableau. I saw what <laughs> you know what Alex Chamberlain was oh, doing, yeah. all these different data vis- visualizations, and like I need to learn I need to learn how to do this, especially with COVID. We have more downtime. This is just something I wanted in my toolbox. And so I started with thinking like, what would be an easy, what would be an easy way to do this visualization? Like basically quality of contact by pitch type. And I, truthfully, I didn't really think it through that fully a year ago. I just settled on expected batting average by type of pitch. Um, So I I basically did um, breaking balls, expected batting average, fastballs, expected batting average. And then I compared um, the percent or the amount of time they see each pitch, for example, like Ian Happ was absolutely terrible against fastballs in 2019, and he didn't. He only he didn't see like a ton of them, if I remember. It was either he didn't see a ton of them, or he saw a, a, so much of them that there was no way he was going to improve. He kind of proved me wrong in 2020, <laughs> but regard, that's uh, besides the point. And then, so I kind of did that, and then um, I got fortunate to be paired up with Alex Fast as my mentor for the program he set up. So I basically had him. I had and I had um, Derek Van Riper the best host in all of fantasy yeah, baseball. No take, take a look at my work. They provided a lot of feedback. I kind of refined it. And one of the things Alex mentioned to me was, you know, maybe we should put in this article that, you know, XBA isn't the most predicted. I'm like, duh, like that is just something I should have been like in it thought about initially. And then I went to the thoughts of 
barrel barrel rate stabilizes faster, much faster than expected batting average, and it's much more predictive. So I thought that this work I'm doing this year on you know barrel rates um, would be much more applicable to helping you know the fan the fantasy baseball audience gain an edge in their leagues. Gotcha. And that kind of covers the whole purpose of like, I wanted to know more of like the purpose behind this idea. And you just mentioned it gives you an advantage. It gives you just what's one more little thing in the toolbox to just apply to your player analysis. Right. Exactly. Man. And you mentioned like, this is like the, what this can be found. The whole article can be found on your Twitter at Carms clubhouse, as well as on rotofanatic.com. So you can find it there. And it actually cites some of those examples you were mentioning. Yep. And I know you do part of the data monster there i that's kind of that's something that hasn't been spoken about on this podcast and i know it wasn't supposed to be it wasn't actually outlined in our outline but i if you can break down some of what the data monster is over there because i know you guys are doing something great over there and i think it deserves more recognition so it doesn't have to be an in-depth break uh, outlook on it but i would just like to hear a little bit about it yeah absolutely so you know paul paul manino he is the mastermind behind the data monster he's got hitter tools pitcher tools and prospect comparisons for purposes of what we're doing here I tied a lot of my barrel board analysis back to the data monster. The hitter tools are excellent at looking at plate discipline metrics, basically by pitch type, location, and count, something that not a lot of metrics really you know, put it all in one piece. And Paul did it, has done a great job of that. So what I'm, what I'm looking at is what was their actual swinging, swinging strike rate all in all? Like he doesn't break it down by pitch type on the, you know, the, the face of the, of the data monster, but I like to look at it in whole. So swing, swing strike rate, what was it? And then two, what was his expected swing strike rate? Meaning like if David Fletcher swing swings and misses, that's all that's awesome for a pitcher because he never swings and misses. But if Gary Sanchez swings and misses, that's not as big of a deal for a pitcher. And it kind of works in the opposite way. If, um, if Brandon Lau swings and misses against Denelson Lamette, sorry, Mike Simeon, that's, uh, that's expected more or less. But if he's, um, if he's swinging and missing against a guy like Alec Mills, like we wouldn't expect that. So Paul has basically computed an expected swing strike rate metric. And I'm looking to see, okay, like Brandon Lau. Yeah. He whiffed a lot last year, but his expected swing strike rate is actually lower. So I'm thinking that he potentially has maybe a slight increase in batting average that maybe we can't see on the face of plate discipline metrics, you know, on the face of fan graphs mm-hmm. around Savant, Paul really digs into that data. And I think that's what I'm kind of trying to tie this all back to How does the plate discipline look? Are they too passive in the zone? Are they too, are they being really aggressive in the zone, finding that pitch to, you know, to barrel up things of that nature? Obviously it's a case by case basis. Gosh, you're like you're piquing my interest because now I want to look at all this stuff <laughs> because like when I, when I do a deep dive, I usually cut it at a certain point, to be honest, because you can get so deep that the article can run on for not just like 1500 words, but we're talking about pages and right. pages. But man, like you bring the nerd out in me because like, and you say this stuff with such confidence and such like a smoothness to it. I'm over here like following along mostly, but I'm sure there are some listeners and even myself. I'm like, all right, I'm still trying to catch up a little bit. But man, I was reading your article and I'm actually I have it up right now and you seem to have a little bit of confidence in Gary Sanchez. You got to sell me on Gary Sanchez a little bit here because I'm looking and I know there was a drop in a few, especially the plate discipline metrics. And apparently there actually has been news and notes about him improving that or trying to make an effort to improve his swing in the off season and actually didn't do too bad in the Dominican summer league. So besides that, obviously kind of giving you a little bit of reason for confidence. I think you cited some reason in your article as well, why you're not, 
completely out on him in 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's such a volatile guy, and I feel like it's all about expectation versus observation. Like some people just think he's absolutely done. Like I will never draft him again. And then there's other people who are like, he's going to bounce back and be a top three catcher. I fall I fall in the middle. I think he's going to you know finish in the top ten, but you know not light the world on fire. So I think it's important to set that expectation. But the main the main thing I'm looking at when I dive on Gary Sanchez is one like he improved so much from 18 to 19 in that fastball barrel rate and he was already you know he was already pretty good like when he came up everyone thought he was going to be like the best catcher ever and he actually improved his metrics in 2019 which is saying something obviously those metrics fell off in 2020 but that was you know cue the small sample size alert but whatever um i'm i'm a little more willing to bet on that larger 2019 sample of him absolutely killing fastballs and more to the point in 2020 he was literally like he had a zero, hit a zero 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 average on thirty fastballs down the middle. A guy who kills fastballs. Do we really think that's going to happen again? You know, personally, you know, I I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and combined with that, and just he's been hitting the ball hard. Eventually, and I think his I think his luck is going to turn around, despite you know swinging and missing all the time when he does make contact. I mean, it's there. Yeah, Sanchez, Gary Sanchez reminds me a lot of Miguel Sano, and that's why it's like I can't say I'm too surprised that these two guys are on the same list, you know? Right. Because these are guys that have lost swing and miss in their game, but Sano and Sanchez both, the second that they touch the ball, it flies. Right. Right. So, so there, but there is like these guys can both lead the league in home runs, or they and they can both be bottom of the barrel and batting average almost simultaneously. It's actually kind of a gift. <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> looking at those two being on the same list is kind of interesting, but um. Now you meant I, I know I don't think we mentioned it, but I know it's in the article that you combine 19 and 20. That's because 20 was such a small sample. Point. Right. Yeah. Even even with barrel rate being predictive and stabilizing faster, definitely had to combine 19 and 20 to get to a sample I was comfortable with. And with 20, uh, once you get 20, 21 data, you plan on continuing this work all the way through, right? And seeing if there is like see if the trends continue in terms of being because the idea of this is to be a little predictable as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I, what I'm really interested in, like. Like the 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 pro scout in me, the five percent pro scout in me, wants to be basically see like, do teams know that Miguel Sano and Gary Sanchez just destroy fastballs, and as a result, should throw them less fastballs? Will we see a decrease in the in their you know in those fastballs and see a change in that pitch mix in twenty twenty one? How how does that correlate to barrel rate? If they see more of these pitches, do you think they adapt and the bar- their barrel rate on secondary pitches goes up? It's just like so many different questions I have that. Hopefully the analysis over, you know, this year, next year, the following year can really um, bear out. Could this actually be turned, this data be turned into like per zone type of deal? Could you look at somebody like, yeah, he might kill fastballs, but like he kills fastballs. But how about what if he's like just missing them up in the zone completely? And that would explain why he's not positively regressing like you expect him to be. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, eventually I'm saying, right. Like I said before, just kind of bouncing things off Alex fast. He's saying like, how does how does Miguel Sano fare in two strike counts on fastballs? How yeah. does um how does Miguel Sano fare? You know, early in the count, does he take the ball early in the count? Does he you know what is his approach? And I think diving all the way down into that, you know, while we don't all have the time in the world to do that, those are mm. extremely important questions that I'm hoping to answer down the gotcha. road. I think that's kind of what you're getting to, and this can absolutely be turned into a type of zone analysis. Maybe Gary Sanchez is just terrible at you know. Fastball's up in the zone. Would that surprise me? Absolutely not. 
or he just can't hit anything down the middle, which would be hilarious right, considering which, he's able. Right, which is what we see in that graph. But like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and I hate to get so granular, especially because you're so early in your analysis. But I like that. I like the fact that I'm hearing that you plan on eventually getting it there, which that's that's kind of a big that's a big deal. I mean, that's awesome that you're planning to get there. And I hate to jump forward. Just I'm just again, I mentioned you mentioned Alex Fast having the same question, so it makes me feel better about asking <laughs> these questions. Yeah, because yeah. there is. You're right. This is a grant. This is a bigger outlook and it gives you an idea of who should be better but this also you mentioned at the very least if you use it as a jump off point as we mentioned before it gives you a reason to look into this and maybe you'll find a reason why he's under and overperforming we do it all the time on a bigger scale as well we, we look at players just if you look at stats versus x stats right without looking any deeper than that you see reasons for positive or negative regression and but then you have to find the why this is giving you a reason to believe in positive or negative regression. And now you have to find that. And then this is where you take the opportunity to find the why. So exactly. me asking you the why without giving you a chance to get there is a little selfish on my behalf. So I apologize. I was just, again, it's just like, it's just, it's the analyst in me trying right. to just dig a little deeper. Cause it's like, almost like just have it at this point to be like, okay, how can I find a little more information? Let me ask you some more, but um, <laughs> it's still a new, it's still a newer concept. So I shouldn't do that. I do apologize. No, you're but, um, actually, you're actually good. You're not selfish at all. You're actually helping me because with you and Alex and others asking the questions, it makes me think less about what the questions are and just go straight to, you know, the answer, hopefully. So you're actually cutting down on my research time, which I definitely appreciate. <laughs> well, no, yeah, cutting down on it. All we're doing is taking out like 10 minutes of like what's going to be hours. People like you're going to put this final product out there of hours of research. And I can understand that. I can respect that. I, I do it. <laughs> but nothing like this. Like analytics, it blows my mind that someone's like, you're able to do stuff like this. Not that, not that I couldn't. It just I know oh, I'm lying. I probably couldn't, but uh, it just—it's crazy to me. I love that this is where the game's gone, and there's there's still an eye test. Don't get me wrong. It's just I love that right. there's numbers behind a lot of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of the eye tests, you know, will be borne out in the data, right? Like maybe um, maybe Dylan Bunny slider, Gary Sanchez just can't handle. Like maybe we could see that live and be like, oh, that makes sense. Gary Sanchez, uh, if he gets behind in the count, yeah, he's done. He's done for him. You know. Yeah, you're starting to see the numbers come with the eye test because we're we're wondering how some of these pitches move the way they pit, they move, and then you hear I think it was Barton Smith with the seam shifted wake or yeah. what I can't think of what it's called. So you're seeing science come together, and now pitchers. There's some pitchers that I, I, I was listening to his interview, and some pitchers are super into the whole idea of like, oh, let me learn about it. Others are like, I just throw it this way, want to keep throwing it this way, don't want to know how or why. And that's kind of how fantasy analysis is. Some people just enjoy the uh, baseline information, give me the BABIPs, give me, and honestly, whatever works for you, you do. But I wanted to get you on here and pick your brain about it. And you mentioned you have other stuff coming out. Um, but is there anything else you want to touch on this that maybe I missed for and didn't get a chance to ask you about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we really focused on, you know, who jumps out, you know, whether good or bad. Mm -hmm. I think, I think something interesting to look at in this analysis is like, who is consistently like, you know, pretty good and doesn't have much movement. Guys like, Corey Seager, Brandon Belt, Mike Moustakis. Like, I know Seager is a hot name right now, but Belt and Moustakis, like, they're so boring. No one really, like, cares to draft them. But maybe this is why, like, they're perennially, like, pretty good. You're in and you're out. They're consistent. They know what they're doing. They know what pitch they're looking for to drive, to barrel up. And I think that while I haven't done, you know, the rabbit hole on, like, some of those players, those boring guys down the middle, I think – I think just showing that those guys do exist means like I have a lot of confidence and, you know, them maintaining their level of production as we head into 2021. Gotcha. And again, you're, and that goes back into kind of meeting in the middle of not getting too granular, but still going a little deeper that you're getting these groupings of names that you get to kind of pair together. And obviously when you see, you mentioned a um, Seager standing out, Seager's the big name, but when you, 
get in any type of, when you're in the conversation with a seeger and you're a Mustakis, <laughs> that's usually a good thing for Mustakis, like you mentioned. So although although we're not saying, and I'm, I'm going to make sure we put that out there, Mustakis is not seeger. We're right. Very, very clearly. Right. But, but the fact that they're in the same conversation in some way, it's usually a good thing for a lesser player even you know he won't be the fancy stud at least there's a reason for optimism and upside and we know and then if you go back and look at Mustakas, even just baseline stats we know there's a potential for you know good home run output good rbis etc cetera, etc cetera. good fantasy production for your team which ultimately all this is the idea of all this is to lead you to your fantasy championships and get you some good players on your team right right it's kind of like the it's kind of like the, the bloom board effect like you see a bunch of these good guys and like a, a guy that just stands out like Brandon Lau, Gary Sanchez, Harrison Bader. Why is Harrison Bader showing up? Like, what is he doing so well? And then on the other side, Tyler O'Neill. Oh, no wonder why Bader is playing all the time. And Tyler O'Neill just rides the bench despite supposed, he's supposedly a big power masher. Like these, these things start to make a lot more sense. And even like a guy like Teoscar Hernandez, like he had a 17% barrel rate on fastballs in 19 and 20, but that was only a 1% increase from 18. So maybe he's actually pretty consistent. Maybe these, you know, he had a breakout last year and people are calling for him to regress. Maybe he's actually not going to regress as much as we, as much as we think he is. Obviously this is one, you know, sort of small data point in yeah. you know a whole profile, of course. But when I see things that pop up to me like that, it just kind of like helps me, you know, kind of plant my flag in a player, like make, like making sure I've kind of combed through different things. No, and like I said, it's, it's great as a jump-off point. I've said that a few times, but I'm really yeah. enjoying that conversation because, again, it's all about starting somewhere in, in your analysis. And honestly, this is even more advanced, but maybe you maybe you looked at these players before. Now you're doing this new analysis. These players are coming back up, and you're like, oh, wait, I got to give them a second look now. I did that I did that the other day with Gleyber Torres because I thought I looked at him. I thought I looked, I thought I looked under every little, you know, crevice and I, re- I realized holy crap i didn't even look at his post il numbers and then you go like something as simple as that just by revisiting a player and that right. was and, and what my jumping off point for that was is i'm doing my new my next tidbit minute video on him so that was my jumping awesome. off point like, it just took me it took me just just getting that focus of like who okay this is what i'm doing that i looked i'm like pre-il post-il something as simple as that something i should have caught the first time i missed and i'm like wow he was really himself down the down the final month the, the, the final stretch of the, the season so that's why it's like some of the stuff although it's not a granular look, granular look it's going to make you do those granular granular looks right I mean, issue talking tonight man no, you're, you're good. <laughs> you know why is these are bigger words than i'm used to i keep it simple <laughs> here but um in all seriousness though car man i appreciate you coming on and talking about this man Obviously, you mentioned you have more work coming out, and yeah, plug your plug all your work, man. Where they can find it, what you're up to, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. My um my main course of work, like we said earlier, is at Roto Fanatic. I'm a co-owner. Super excited to be with the whole team. Uh, running a site with the guys is super fun. Uh, super exciting times. We have so much coming out. Um, like we kind of said here, going to keep working on the different types of barrel boards. Paul Mamino and I are really trying to look at um how inning create how increases in innings pitched affects K minus BB rate. And as we know, K minus BB rate is the most predictive of, you know, future pitcher success. And we want to kind of group pitchers into buckets, see how their percentages change over time. Um, we're really trying to get that analysis out. No promises, but that's some really <laughs> exciting stuff we're trying, we're going to try and do in the near future. And then I'm still, I'm still writing for fantasy pros. I'm doing um, a bunch of draft prep articles. You'll see some low BABIP, high BABIP, high BABIP articles, uh, Points league versus roto league, who rises and falls. You know, kind of like those, uh, kind of like those classic draft prep articles that you know are, are always fun to write. 
I might have to get you back on and talk about some of those risers and fallers because we are going to do some points league conversation on this podcast. But until then, I do appreciate you coming on. Don't forget you can follow Carm. I'm going to just call you Carm. It's easier that way. Yep, at, yep. Carm's, at Carm's Clubhouse. And um, again, check out all his great work. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Don't forget to hit the five-star rating review on your way out. Appreciate you listening as always, and we'll talk to you soon. 